I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello. Hello. And welcome oh, to Film Franchise Fortnites oh. on the Culture Podcast. I am your host, Richard Ravioli Martin. And I am also your host, um, what's my Instagram handle? Call children, meme. Children of Meme. <laughs> is, can follow me on Instagram at children of meme. Yeah. What else have you been? Call meme by your name. Call meme by your name. I was also 28 memes later. And I know um, who killed meme. Yeah, I know who killed meme. <laughs> so I'm cycling through some of the best movies ever made, obviously. <laughs> replacing one of the words with memes anyway follow me on instagram follow meme on instagram <laughs> follow meme that's oh, great you missed your chance i tried i tried to boo. do despicable meme but it was already taken but oh, i guess that's right. the obvious one yeah despicable meme that is a good one yeah all right so aj what are we doing what's what's um, this podcast so this is film franchise fortnights this is something we do every fortnight um which is two we... weeks for those who don't know yeah, for those in, in our American listeners, where a fortnight is three weeks um, here in New Zealand, uh, it's actually only two. Um, anyway, so <laughs> the yeah, so we watch an entire film franchise in that fortnight, and then we uh, turn on the podcast machine to tell the world um, and all 173 of our regular listeners uh, <laughs> what what we think of said franchise. Sometimes it's a franchise that. Um, that everyone's seen, and it's more of like a cathartic thing for people to tune in and listen. Oh, what are the what are the Cole Popshire boys think of the Transformers movies oh. or Kung Fu Panda? Yeah, sometimes it's a it's a touch more obscure. Like, oh, what do the Cole Popshire boys think of um, Airbud? All seventeen of them, <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's kind of a hybrid of both, depending on who you are and what niches of film you fall into and such is like. yeah what <laughs> uh, such is the the nature of this kind of i feel yeah. like there's a there's a, a sect of society that are really into the franchise that yeah we're but it's covering also, today uh yeah it's it's a very recognizable franchise whether or not people have actually seen them i think is mm. a different story very true and um i don't know why we're acting like it's going to be a surprise when you've already seen <laughs> when it's the fucking title of the episode the, t- the title of the episode but richard what are we talking about today we are talking about hellraiser Ooh. the 10 film iconic horror franchise yeah from the mind yeah. of clive barker so i have so many questions richard and we'll get i'm sure we'll get to all of them i haven't written a single one down <laughs> um so i'll probably forget but about a, a year and a half ago on this podcast, we covered um, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. It's actually pretty close to two years now. Oh, really? True, it was it our last be, franchise yeah. of 26, second to last franchise of 2016. Wow. So we, we covered all 20-ish, I think, of those 20. movies. 
20 moves and um we sort of got ingrained in the slasher horror world that those two franchises um nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th kind of um championed like they they are held in very high regard by the people who like them and so they should be (laughs) yeah and and for sure um but we did kind of feel while doing the episode that there was still more to discover in this weird kind of slasher horror world and it's specifically ones that got like dozens of sequels yeah yeah and hellraiser was probably the next one on that list of like iconic uh horror villains i guess is the the main distinguisher about it yeah and of course uh nightmare on elm street you've got freddy krueger with Mm -hmm. his bloody uh claw fingers and his burny mm-hmm. face you've got uh mm-hmm. friday the 13th's jason Voorhees with his hockey mask which he only gets in the third film uh mm. and his you know lumbering stature and his machete and hellraiser has pinhead the mm. uh the demon uh the cenobite if you will uh, is that it yeah i watched these movies on a very tedious sound system and did not hear it as Cenobite once. What did you I hear? I heard, like, Cinnabon. I heard, like, <laughs> Megabyte. You know, that kind of, I was trying to... I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Right. And then the, I feel like they don't say it for, like, four movies in a row at one point. <laughs> and then it comes back in, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's what they're called. So, C- oh, yeah. Cenobites. Or Cenobite. Cenobite. C-E-N-O-B-I-T-E. Cenobite. No. Okay, go on, please. Uh, yeah, so uh, you've probably seen this character before in some form or another uh he's got pale white skin and a grid carved into his head with uh nails sticking out of all of the uh vertices (laughs) (laughs) did you have to look up those the right terminology there or did you you just know vertices intersecting (laughs) the intersecting point on a grid are called vertices no, that's just well. Actually, to be well, fair, well, I didn't know it. So oh. you're better at maths than me, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No vertex. All right, vertices. Anyway, Oops. yeah, you made me doubt myself for a second because I thought maybe it only uh, was for 3D objects, but oh. no, I no, I did not mean to make you doubt yourself, Richard. I would never do that. In <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah, like year six geometry. So right, nice. maybe you need well, to retake year six geometry, AJ. I don't think I did take that. So, Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Um, Came out so, in 1987. Yeah. Um, and it was directed by Clive Barker, who, if you mention to people that are like kind of in the know, um, he's like a David Cronenberg kind of mm. person, like an auteur that's like known as being real fucking weird. Yeah. Um, and yeah so so just so you know just so we know as well what was going on in 1987 uh you said evil dead 2 came out uh nightmare on elm street 3 and let me just check if there was a friday the 13th that year um there would have been surely because they were already going for a while uh no actually there was one in uh six came out in 86 and seven came out in 88 so it wasn't a um Thing that, yeah. Hellraiser filling the filling. Friday the 13th, yeah. 13th size hole. Um, so 
I God, I have so many questions, and we've we've talked about this before um, with some previous podcasts that Richard and I tend to take turns in who does all the research. Um, typically, that doesn't necessarily stop the other from looking into it if he wants. It's more just like Richard hosts Mission Impossible and I host Kung Fu Panda. And yeah. we come together, and whatever we both know, we both know. But you specifically asked me not to research anything. Yeah, because um, like often, you know, if you're doing it, I'll be like, "Oh, who's that actor?" and I'll look them up, and then you kind of end up on like a trail yeah. and mm. stuff like that. And so, yeah, because this franchise, I, 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 this is one of the ones that I was reading about a few weeks ago, and I knew a kind of a, a couple of interesting pieces of trivia, and I was like, "I want you to watch the films without knowing this stuff and see what mm. you think." But I have to say, if there was ever a franchise in which I felt I needed to know more, it's got to be this one, man. Like, <laughs> well, not even like, out of fire like, away your questions. I'm, I'm, I hope well, I have the answer. So you've already kind of answered who's Clive Barker because the first film is called like Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Mm. You know, like it's he's like the Jim Henson to the Muppets of the Hellraiser <laughs> series. And so, yeah. but but I was like, who the hell is this guy? So he's just. What else has he did he do? Is he well? Is he's he... an author as well, and he's done like comic right. books and stuff like that. So, but okay. he's known for that kind of really kind of weird, creepy mm. sort of horror. And like, there's a few people at work that I've like mentioned. They're watching Hellraiser. Like, oh, Clive Barker's a fucking weirdo, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. And someone was like, yeah, like I, I said, I asked one of the older guys, I was like, have you ever seen the Hellraiser movies? He's like, yeah, yeah, I saw the first one in the cinema. He's like, hey, Clive Barker's a he's a strange dude. <laughs> is he still around is he still uh, yes he is yeah oh that's good and we'll get to that i guess <laughs> i mean it's not bad i wouldn't wish death upon anyone but anyway <laughs> uh, okay yeah so uh should we have a go at giving a synopsis of the film because yeah so this is gonna oh shit this is yeah. gonna be hard <laughs> <laughs> like because the thing <laughs> is, is and I, I, I experienced us. this on friday when i was uh talking to people at work about um about doing this and it's like Freddy versus uh like Nightmare on Elm Street. Ask um, me what Nightmare on Elm Street as a series is about. Oh yeah, what's Nightmare on Elm Street about? Um, it's about a a a like villain who can intercept your dreams and kill you in your sleep. And if you kill, if you die in the dream, you die in real life. You die for real. Yeah. What's Friday the Thirteenth about? So Friday the Thirteenth is pretty simple. Basically, there's a dude who drowned and he's come back as like a monster ghost kind of thing, and he's hell bent on revenge on people who are. Um, doing the same behavior that those who were responsible for his death were doing simple easy yeah. makes what's, sense obvious what's um scream about scream is kind of a um lampshade hanging uh tribute or homage to horror about a serial killer or serial killers who um are targeting this one girl for various different reasons each one features several bloody deaths and it's a, it's a um, meta slasher yeah meta slasher sure yeah um, what's Evil Dead about? Evil Dead is about a guy who opens various portals to hell and the past. And yes, that's weird, but it's easy to explain. <laughs> like, it's not as succinct. And AJ, what is Hellraiser about? Um, I know I've seen it. <laughs> no, it's it's about, okay, the first film. Because the series isn't about a single thing the only two um factors that are in each film is the character of pinhead who's a cenobite and a puzzle box which is like that 
opens the gateway to hell when yeah. you open it. And it's called the Le Mans configuration. Um, okay. Which is like, <laughs> it, I, so I was reading about, the, you know, as the film's gone, it, like, and it talks about, oh, the, the box is called the Lament, like L-A-M-E-N-T, Lament as in like you lament. Lament something. Yeah. Something. Um, but then in like the seventh film, or even later than that, they they someone's like the Le Mans configuration, and I was like, "What Le Because it's um, not it's not said out loud. So I am going to call it the Lament configuration. Okay, the podcast, all right, that's I fine. I'll what's... call it the Le Mans configuration, and it will <laughs> okay. satisfy everyone. Okay, so the first film, um, so yeah, the the first film starts with this dude in some like weird, you know, uh, Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern? No, just Eastern. He's just an, an Eastern nondescript country. And he he scores the Le Mans configuration. And he opens it. And when it opens, these chains shoot out from the, the ether and, like, rip his skin off. They hook into him and they rip his skin off. And you, you pre- presume he's dead. He gets dragged to hell. Um, and then we go to another story. There isn't a... I'm sorry. There's no logline for this film. I don't know how to do a logline. <laughs> I have to go beat by beat through the film. So then we go to um, that... The guy we just saw, we go to his brother. And he's got a wife and a daughter who have just moved into their... The, the house brothers, The house where he died. Sure. Okay, there we go. Um, and they're, they're moving all their stuff in. They don't know he's dead. They think he's just gone. They yeah, think he's, he's just missing. missing. Um, and you come to find out through some very, like, kind of vaguely edited flashbacks that the... Very sexy flashbacks. Yeah, that um, the the wife, whose name is... Can we remember her name? No, this is the best. there's no point. <laughs> she, oh, it's, it's she, Julia. I believe it's Julia. Julia. Julia, you're right. She had an affair with Frank, who's the original guy who we saw get dragged to hell at the start. Um, and so she's now living in this house where you know it's kind of like the sins of her past are very prevalent in her mind and you might go oh that's interesting that um julia's the protagonist no she's not the protagonist isn't the protagonist till the last act um so julia's the antagonist yeah that's true yeah so basically um uh her husband frank's brother um cuts himself on a on a loose nail and while he goes into one of Frank's old rooms, and it's the room where he got dragged to hell in, um, and he spills some blood on the floorboards. And as when he leaves the room, we see the blood get absorbed by some kind of organic beating heart kind of looking thing beneath the floorboards. And what that does is that it brings the once damned Frank back up from hell. Um, and... He looks like Pinhead now. No, he doesn't. But that would make sense considering how iconic Pinhead is with the <laughs> franchise. But it's no—he's not even in it yet. I think he appears at the start and then very yeah. briefly. Um, but the problem with Frank is now he's like—he's all muscle and bone. He's—he's he's yeah, like yeah, lost he's skin. Bone at this point. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, Julia finds him, and basically, this is where the premise of the film kind of kicks off: is that Julia. Um, is coaxed into bringing men back to the house by the the bloody and muscly Frank, where she kills them and Frank like sucks their blood yeah, and like absorbs their... the blood and yeah, yeah, gives them yeah. more body. Yeah, he he's he's slowly regaining what he used to look like. Um, 
I guess it culminates in um, the daughter coming, coming like becoming aware of it. <laughs> And, yeah. and she gets thrown like everyone gets killed except for her so julia gets killed um the, the husband gets killed and then julia um finds the lemon configuration um kirsty kirsty finds, finds it that's her name that's the daughter kirsty she she ends up with the lemon configuration i think she opens it um, and she's greeted with a bunch of cenobites of which pinhead is one but by no means the main one He's like one of he's the, uh, he's clearly the, the leader, but he's not particularly mm. more of a you know. He's the main one in the sense that Rachel's the main character of Friends. Yeah, which and the, she like, I'm like is. the main guy in this podcast, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she, so she, she's greeted with these these Cenobites, and they say, "Hey, you opened the Lamont configuration. We're going to take it to hell now." And she goes, "Hold on, you actually let a soul escape, my uncle Frank." you took him now he's back and they're like what that's impossible and she's like well how about this i get you frank you spare me from you know trade trade off the the one that got away for her life so she manages to make that happen but the cenobites still kind of want her but then she just escapes and that's kind of the end of the film yeah fuck we've I think got that's all you 10 need to of know. these things to talk about and we're t- 17 in Oh no, All this right. is going to be so, so long. Um, basically, like, to put it simply, a guy comes back from the dead and his mistress uh, wants to fuck him so she keeps finding more blood so that he can become human again and have sex with her. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I should have said <laughs> that. You should have um, stepped in. Now, AJ, what did you hmm. think of this film? Um, I, I liked it in the way that you're kind of interested in that vaguely attractive goth girl in your high school like year 10 class Do you mean? like i'm i was i was curious and i wanted to know more and but i feel like um, i wouldn't be able to keep up yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i wouldn't make her happy right so well nothing can kind of she's how, a goth girl yeah exactly that's kind of how i felt about this film i was like yep this is cool um I don't know if I like it, but I I I I, I admire it maybe, or I see yeah. what it, what the point uh, is. Yeah, I would I wouldn't say I liked it necessarily, but I enjoyed it. Mm, yeah. yeah. So I can think kind of the selling point of the film is um, it goes all out, and more so than Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth, it's very gory. This is more splatter than slasher. So you've got like hooks like going into people's skin and not it's not realistic but it looks visceral the like the imagery of it of their skin being ripped off by these like rusty hooks like yeah, and they say yeah. come to daddy a lot yeah they do that's true uh yeah so uh the the rotten tomatoes score for this film what would you guess it would be around it's like 30 Re- oh, you reckon that low no uh, I did read it as I said last last film franchise Fortnite's the app I use to watch these films actually right. shows me the uh, score, it's sixty eight with critics okay yep um and sure. seventy three with audiences yep that's yep yeah. no and complaints apparently it did divide critics upon release uh, Melody Maker called it the greatest horror film made in Britain uh, but Roger Ebert probably the most famous film critic of all time called it a bankruptcy of imagination oh. And he Gotta also uh, described Ebert, it man. as a look up and see what's happening film, which I kind of felt with a lot of these films that like you just go on your phone, just look up and be like, oh yeah, okay, and then 
No, totally, man. I <laughs> one of the middle ones is like I think um um maybe I can't remember the titles enough, but there's yeah, the, that's accurate. They are a look up and catch up. Okay, that's what's happening. Don't need to pay any more attention. They're not particularly compelling. It's more just a all right, what's what's happened next? <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, and I mentioned as well that it was made in Britain, but you might have noticed that it's um uh they've all got American accents. A lot of them are trying to do American accents. Well, actually, it was um filmed in Britain with um British accents, but they thought to give it a wider appeal, they overdubbed everyone with American accents. Uh, yep. Totally. <laughs> and um but apart from Pinhead, because I think they wanted him to have a British accent and sound more regal. Like a regal, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, because in the Freddy vs. Jason, if you've been a fan of us for a long time, I did talk about in Freddy vs. Jason episode that uh, there was a, the fight was going to take them to hell at one point and, Hellraiser, and Pinhead would be there and yeah. he would be like, and I was like, gentlemen, what do we, and I was like, I don't know what he sounds like, but he would have said, gentlemen, what are we fighting about? But now that I've seen the films, it's more like, gentlemen, what are we fighting about? Yeah. Um, are we going film by film through this? Yeah. So do you have a section where we talk about Pinhead as a character? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we can do it now because it's kind of like he, he then goes through all the films. Is Yeah. Okay. All, all I'll say is that like if Jason is the strong silent type and... Freddy is the wild card. Um, Pinhead is the... The brains. Yeah, he takes himself very seriously. He does... I don't think he makes any kind of quips. He's mm. he's very... He talks in very old English. Um, things are very important to him. Yeah. And I Which appreciate is, that. I like yeah, that. no, it's cool. I'm, I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. But by, by, you know, the, the five, six film mark, I was like, I actually really like Pinhead. Yeah, totally. Um, you mentioned as well, Pinhead, not the... Not the the as iconic in the first film as he no. thought um he's he not even be. the first to, he's not even the last to die like that's what got me right is that kirsty when a, a die i die in quotation marks when kirsty's escaping the cenobites he's like number two or three to go right. and then there's still more after him that she has to banish well so in the film he's the leader of four cenobites as i mentioned um there's himself chatterer a female one who was nicknamed Deep Throat by the crew because she has like her throat is like opened up, yep. but she's never actually gotten a name. She's just the female Cenobite um, mm-hmm. because Deep Throat's kind of sexual. Um, yeah. And the other one, the, there's a big fat one, and his name is Butterball, which makes this nice. our second franchise, which has a character whose name is or is based on the word Butterball. <laughs> I'm covering my eyes with my hands right now because that's so funny. <laughs> um yeah butterball and chatterer um didn't originally had dialogue but then they actually couldn't talk through their makeup so they gave the dialogue to the female and pinhead which kind of helped put him a bit more into the forefront right Um, yeah and pinhead as well he's all he's called um priest in the early drafts of the script but in the shooting script he's called in the shooting script he's called uh lead cenobite Mm. Uh, apparently clive barker actually hates the name pinhead he thinks it's undignified and yeah. he then like he made a comic in 2011 a hellraiser comic and that was he's referred to as priest in that and he's also said that he has a true cenobite name which will be revealed at some future date in some future project right you know no pinhead's not his actual name 
It's mm. it's the the same way the smoke monster was called Smokey and Lost. Yeah, like he's, I d- yeah, it is undignified. I don't think he'd go by Pinhead if he yeah. had a say in it. it. It it is used in the franchise a couple of times. Yeah, but it's always, yeah, it's like derogatory. Who are you calling Pinhead? <laughs> um, do you remember? And other than Come to Daddy, could you tell me what the most iconic line of this film is? No. Uh, any guesses? Um, go to hell no she says that when she banishes them she goes go to hell and it's like i think this was the part you're supposed to cheer yeah um (laughs) there's was at the end there's um frank who's wearing his brother's skin um he's got all the chains pulling his face apart so it's like completely warped before it's yeah. ripped apart and she says something to you and do you remember what he says in, re- in response no he says jesus wept yeah <laughs> and that's sure. like the like oh my god chills down my spine kind of line really i don't think i got it <laughs> well jesus wept's been kind of ruined for me do you remember that episode of community where the dean yeah, was trying yeah. out vr and he just keeps <laughs> crying jesus wept yeah man. so that's kind of what i associate with that phrase i mean it's it's a verse in the bible but i associate yeah, it's the it shortest the verse dean. in the bible i believe correct yeah yeah so apparently um that was that wasn't in the script it was suggested by the actor the scripted line was fuck you <laughs> i kind of like that better not to not to trod on like the the um the kind of uh theatrical nature of the dialogue in this film but it would have been a nice cut through the the tension of it i guess but right, maybe not yeah. so pinhead oh we should mention as well pinhead's played by a, di- a guy called doug bradley mm-hmm. um so he, it's like in the same way kane hodder is jason um robert england is uh freddie freddie um yeah, so apparently he was offered to either play Pinhead or one of the movers at the very start of the film. And he was <laughs> like, oh, I should play one of the movers because I'm, I'm just starting as an actor. People should be able to see my face. So he was like, <laughs> almost turned it down to play wow. like a five second role. Wow. Amazing. Um, but yeah, now like, I mean, his face isn't necessarily iconic, but like a version of it is. What, <laughs> what kind of ultimatum is that? Oh, yeah. yeah, you can be in our film. Um, we were really impressed with your audition. Um, we'll give you a choice. You can either be an, an unnamed character who serves nothing really to the plot or literally, like, the face of the film. <laughs> what would you rather be? Yeah. So the, then, the poster for this film as well is, um, Pinhead. is Pinhead, and it says, like, he'll he'll tear your soul apart and stuff so yeah. i was that the original poster or yeah, was yeah, it yeah. like yeah. it was interesting so even from the get-go i thought it might have been like a stewie griffin situation where he was just the most loved by fans character yeah so well i think it's upgraded. like a, yeah uh, it's a bit of that but it's also like if you were creating like looking at those at the like characters and also like you have to remember that these posters are like um submitted to the mpaa and it's like if you're having the scene by like you can't have any of the hook pulling people apart, you can't have any of the skinless right. imagery. Like Pinhead, kind of like is is a sh- is shocking imagery, but he's the least offensive looking of the Cenobites. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, so Doug Bradley took the role, and then apparently at the rap party, uh, he was real upset because no one was talking to him, and he thought he got along real well with everyone, 
And then he later realized that no one recognized him because no one had actually seen him out of his makeup. I'm going to look up what he looks like now because I don't even know. What's his name? Uh, uh, Doug, Doug, Doug Bradley. Bradley. Cool. Uh, yeah, so the, also this, uh, uh, the video release uh, I was reading had just a couple of, couple more like funny bits of uh, behind-the-scenes trivia. The, um, the video release had a home shopping network show at the end of it um, where merchandise from the movie was purchased, could be purchased, and it was hosted by like some old lady who said she was a big fan of the movie. <laughs> so you like buy <laughs> random shit. That's um, awesome. And also, I just thought <laughs> this story was real funny. So the opening sequence originally featured uh, the butterball scene by reassembling Frank's mutilated face on the attic floor using actual eyes, a tongue, and popped flesh from a butcher's shop. Once this decision was made to emphasize pinhead and press materials, so... You know, there, there you go. Okay. Um, yep. Doug Bradley was brought back, and a new scene was shot featuring Pinhead reassembling a prosthetic face. Simon Banford, who plays Butterball, was never told that they were doing this, and for years he would tell fans at horror conventions that the brief shot included in the film of a hand piecing Frank's face together was taken from the scene he filmed. It wasn't until the 2010s, during a making of documentary, that he found out it had been entirely cut and reshot. <laughs> so he thought, oh, they just cut my scene, but they still use my hand. He didn't realize they reshot right. it. And also, he's, he's the Eric Stoltz of Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, an interesting piece of trivia I got from IMDb: the word Cenobite means member of a monastic community. Zero of two found this interesting. Monastic. Yeah, monastery. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. So, Hellbound, Hellraiser Two, nineteen eighty-eight. Save your comments. We are going to talk about titles a lot on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was directed by Tony Randall uh, fuck this, and, uh, the story by Clive Barker on this one. so he didn't write the script right. but he wrote the story what year was this? Uh, 88 next year right so this film um, it continues immediately on from the first film so it's following Kirsty, who's now kind of in a mental asylum because no one believes her and to make, to put it briefly I think Frank's trying to come back and so is Julia and it kind of switches the roles of that like Julia gets Frank's role from the first film so now she's wanting to like rise from the dead and it's, um, there's one of the fucking grossest things I've ever seen in a film what was it when she comes back and she's skinless and they like wrap her up in bandages and then like the, the doctor like makes out with her yeah and like and puts got, his like, hand up on. her skirt yeah yeah fuck yeah that's that so unsettling <laughs> um so it all culminates in kirsty and another one of the patients venturing into hell to like banish julia for good and pinheads there yeah sure um what do you think this got with critics um lower than the first yeah 54 percent with critics 58 percent with audiences um what do you think of it um, I didn't hate it. I it was just more of a extension of the first one, and I was like, it it doesn't do anything wrong as a sequel. Yeah. It's just like it, it um, could be a three hour movie with the first one kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah it mean, kind of feels like the belated last act of the first film. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like um, like you could cut some some stuff out and make like a two hour film that kind of co- covers everything. But yeah, this was included on Roger Ebert's most hated films of all time list. Wow, um, not care for these. Movies. I don't really have anything to say about this film, <laughs> and like, no, and then neither, just moving on. Like, yeah, 
I don't know if we should dwell on it. I'm sorry if Hellbound Hellraiser 2 is your favorite Hellraiser movie and you, and you wanted to know what we thought about it, but yeah, it's such a... Yeah. When you watch <laughs> 10 movies in a franchise, man, like yeah. like we've prided ourselves on, on not really taking notes because the way I think of it, if I take notes, this podcast would be even longer. Yeah. Um, so, and the, but the, the catch-22 of that is... I don't remember what I thought of Hellraiser, sure. Hellbound, Hellraiser Two as much, but yeah. that's okay. It's yeah, fine. Um, Go, it's it's a only, good chaser to the first film. Yeah. The only thing I, I do want to say about this film, though, is the Cenobites apparently all have like elaborate backstories that were never really explored in the films, but Barker, uh, Clive Barker, created in his mind, and he wanted it to be clear to the audience that they were once human. Which is explored yeah, more that, in the next film. That that is explored more in the year. Um, but is that what? Oh, that is yeah. what um, Doug Bradley just looks like. Would yeah, just yeah. be the human version of yeah. Pinhead, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, this was supposed to foreshadow Frank and Julia's corruption by lust, with Julia becoming the ultimate iconic villain of the series. However, after the first film, Pinhead became so beloved that he just became the center point. Right. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't? It? I'd say with the first two films. You if if the if they had stopped there and someone was like oh what what is the main like horror hook what's the main monster in the two Hellraiser films you'd say oh it's the people without skin like they're the they're yeah, the kind of like thing, yeah. iconic parts of it yeah yeah all right well should we move right along <laughs> yeah no please please so so next we had Hellraiser three Hell on Earth came out in nineteen ninety two directed by Anthony Hickox. Mm. Uh, Clive Barker was executive producer on this one, so it was like a Clive Barker. It's Clive Barker presents Hellraiser Three: right. Hell on Earth. Yeah, uh, okay. what's this one about? Oh, jeez. Um, Pinhead's back, but he's like part of like a frozen totem pole. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he's like a a rock face, and he's like, um, compelling other people who have the Lamont configuration, um, to do his bidding, and he like kills several people and um the main character is like a reporter named joey and she's a girl named joey as in Mm -hmm. joanna and she is like following trying to figure out what's going on with the 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 whole shit going on (laughs) um anyway it ends with like basically everyone she has come to know over the film are turned into cenobites and oh no, she learns about um she learns even more about Pinhead's backstory and she meets the the once human version of Pinhead as separate from Yeah. And who he Pinhead fought Pinhead in like now. Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. And so the the ghost of Pinhead's past like visits her and is like, Hey, um, you actually need to stop this from happening. So with his help, she like lures Pinhead into this dream state dimension where the two of them manage to defeat the the monster that pinhead has become would yeah. you say that's accurate yeah it's good and uh what did you think of it um it's so from here on out my opinions of these films aren't necessary to know in order to talk about them <laughs> i think i think i'll say right up here that i think the first one is my favorite i don't right. know maybe it may it just uh, uh, whatever like i enjoyed watching them it's it's weird. I've never been so ambivalent but passionate about a series before. Um, I I didn't hate this one. I thought it introduced some clever ideas. It was cool that they kept reinventing how to 
um, show Pinhead and, and have Pinhead be in the film in different ways. I thought that was cool. Um, the part that really made me like crack up was towards the end um, when uh, Joey is running away from Pinhead. She runs into a church and she runs up to the priest and it's like an empty church except for the priest and she's like oh demons after me and first of all the priest goes into it like oh well demons are actually like metaphorical you know (laughs) this is a catholic church they do not believe that demons are metaphorical (laughs) you would never catch a priest saying that these these it's it's great though because when he's she's she's, he basically it's a setup because he tells her demons aren't actually real and then pinhead enters the film into the enters the building and she turns around and points him and goes then what the fuck is that and it's like (laughs) kind of cathartic moment but then he um he like chains up the priest or nearly kills the priest and then he stands at the podium of the church and stigmatizes his own hands and stands like you know, with his arms outstretched as Jesus was on the cross and goes, I am what I am. And it just made me crack up because if you could, per- it's like it was designed in a factory to make my dad not want me to watch it. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that they, they had a list of all the things that my parents would turn off a movie when I was young. And like, it's not enough that the creature is from hell. He has to, try and take the place of jesus as the <laughs> and like mm. proclaim himself as lord uh yeah i would say this is probably one of my favorites okay i actually i without being able to tell you why necessarily i just remember really enjoying this one while i was watching it i think this was my most look up and see what's happening one and maybe that <laughs> yeah, is right. you looked up it. the most uh yeah so a couple of things about this film uh at one point it was going to take place in ancient egypt oh cool do that movie um <laughs> And at one point, uh, Peter Jackson was going to direct it. Of course, because of the slasher splatter stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. it does feel like Peter Jackson's early Peter Jackson style. Yeah, is kind of what these films are. So no, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, but also, we um, we haven't mentioned this yet, but there's a sex scene in every single one of these films. Yep, and like explicit sex scenes. And we, you were you were messaging me leading into the final one, and you're like, "Oh, there better be a sex sex scene in it." And in the final movie, there is just enough of a sex scene to be able to call it a sex scene. <laughs> like it just it just crossed the line into being like, "Yes, this is a sex scene." Whereas yeah. like ones before it had like explicit like full on i don't know if if, there's one that's kind of it's a non-explicit kind of doggy style thrusting yeah um it's kind of artfully shot but the rest are like real fucking intense this is one of the ones that's real intense um because there's a sex scene it's uh the guys on top and (laughs) they're both fully nude but apparently the actress um objected to being topless so they were like all right, how do we fix this? So just, they just had the actor have his hands completely covering her breasts. Yeah, but like, it kind of just looks like he's them. like kneading dough to make bread. Like yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> it was real intense. Yeah. So I was like, it's, wow. it's worse than just being topless in the film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my point. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, she's like, oh, I don't want to show my nipples, and they're like, all right, well then we're gonna have someone like <laughs> kneading the shit out of them. <laughs> uh, now, fair enough. Um, yeah. The yeah. So. Um, this is also, is this the first time that he's called Pinhead in a film? Yes, it is. First time Pinhead's called Pinhead. Mm, and that's from Joey before she sends him to hell, back to yeah, hell. And it makes sense in the context because she, it's, it's like she's making fun of yeah, him. She, yeah, exactly. She's making fun of him. She's, she's like, go to, go to hell, Pinhead or whatever she says, something like that. Um, 
And it's also, you do see, for those hanging out for the Kirsty connection, you do see Kirsty very briefly in like a videotape of, a, of another asylum where she's been sent since the first, yeah. since the second film. So that's kind of sad, but maybe we'll hear <laughs> from her again. Maybe we will. Uh, also, uh, yeah, uh, INDB trivia here. Mm-hmm. Um, the word Cenobite means member of a monastic order. Three out of three found this interesting. Ah, so this time they did find it interesting. Yeah. Different strikes for different folks, I guess. Yep. All right, so that's that's the third one. We're just blitzing through them now. <laughs> uh, next up came Hellraiser Bloodline. This came out in 1996, and this was directed by, and if you uh, follow our Instagram, you might have seen this already, uh, it was directed by Alan Smithy. Yep. And AJ, do you want to say what is interesting about that director? Sure. Alan Smithy's not a real person. Alan Smithy was the pseudonym directors gave when they were ashamed of a movie they'd directed. Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever seen it actually in a film. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was actually um, pretty uh, interested reading about this. So the the film's credited director is Alan Smithy. but so yeah like you said it used to be the pseudonym you could credit if you didn't want or couldn't be credited for whatever reason but it was formally discontinued in in 2000 right so like this was one of the last films to do it properly but i think there are still a few films with it but there's like guild um things with it right of course Uh, actually i can tell you i'll tell you what the what the last film to like fuck it up was um but anyway the dga the director's guild of america could uh if you could if the director could prove to the guild panel that they were not able to exercise creative control over the film, they could, you know, use Alan Smithy. Um, but once they gave you that, um, you weren't allowed to discuss the circumstances of why it's been credited, and you're actually never allowed to acknowledge that you directed it. So, do people know who directed the film? Well, yeah, they do, but it's like these things come out, but it's like you're actually not allowed to speak right. about the you know, director's guild. Um, but yeah, so the official poster film has no credits at all because they didn't want the Alan Smithy name reflecting poorly on the film, so there's just no credits on it. Mm. Who? So who but, did um, direct it? Uh, what happened was Joe Chappelle was the... So, wait a second, let me get this. So Kevin Yeager directed it, but then Joe Chappelle finished it. Um, so ah. there's two directors on it so Joe Chappelle was the first choice to direct her and in fact he only agreed to do the sixth Halloween film which he directed The Curse of Michael Myers uh, he agreed to do that one if he could do this one but apparently that had a really troublesome um, production which you know we might find out about it's a future time of this podcast when we cover the Halloween franchise mm. uh, but he ended up declining to direct this film eventually after not enjoying the troublesome production of that one Um so but the original director of this one kevin yeager quit bloodline and so there was changes made behind his back and whatnot and so they brought josh pallon but there wasn't enough money or time in the budget to reshoot enough of the film so that he could be the credited director because you directors guild rules state that you have to uh direct a certain amount yeah um to get and so that's that's what happened with um, ron howard reshooting heaps of solo yeah he had to direct, redirect, he had to, yeah, do a certain amount. Cool. It's interesting there. Hmm. So the, um, this, this is Hellraiser Bloodline. So yeah. it's less a case of the director being ashamed of the film and more a director not being able to like. 
Yeah, well, it was a director left because he was ashamed of the film, and then the other one wasn't allowed to do enough right. work on it that he could be okay. counted as so, a director. So neither necessarily were like credited to Alan Smithy. It was just that's how it had to be. Yeah, um, but the Alan Smithy name apparently was discontinued because there's a film called Burn Hollywood Burn, an Alan Smithy film, which is uh, Eric Idle plays a director called Alan Smithy who creates um, a film that he's not proud of, but the only pseudonym he's allowed to use is his own name. <laughs> um, and apparently it's like the movie is like fucking terrible oh. and it's like got like 3% on Rotten Tomatoes and um, they they couldn't use the name after that because it came became too widespread. Okay. All right. So this film is... Um, we're getting into some nice little sequel tropes by this film because this is Hellraiser in space. Um, I would have thought we'd get a few more sequels in before we resorted to space. Um, <laughs> but no, this is set at least probably some fraction it's of it. It's in the year 2127. Yeah, but it's, it's some fraction of it is set in space and the rest is set back in time so it does yeah. it does the jason x thing where this is actually the furthest we've seen in the hellraiser timeline yeah chronologically yeah. this film does last yeah um and so basically um there's a dude on a on a spaceship and he's using like a robotic um kind of like isolated chamber to unlock the lemon configuration so that all the cenobites come out but they're trapped in like this one little room but just as this happened like the space police show up and they are like <laughs> hey we've been you can't not allowed to do this and so the guy who did it talks to the main um police lady and tells her the story of the lemon configuration where we go back to the 1800s i think 1797 and we see his great 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 ancestor played by the same actor um was it yeah it was wasn't it mm, yeah i think so yeah, yeah and he um makes the puzzle box as a uh commission for as he's a toy maker so he makes this he's paid to make this box by like a cultist whose goal is to open up the gates of hell so that's part of the movie then we also go to like present day as in 1996 1996 yeah um and we see the other the ancestor in between the two guys also played by the same actor who like is haunted by the kind of assassin's creedy genetic memories of being responsible for this um and goes head to head with hellraiser hellraiser that's not even his name huh um pinhead Pinhead, and then we go into the future again um after we find out what happened there and the um the last the ancestor in space and the police cop they everyone is picked off in the spaceship but they defeat pinhead and the cenobites by locking them in the ship and leaving through a um a escape pod and the ship turns into a giant lemon configuration i think implying that he's being locked in there again but it, yeah. it uses like the the direction of the stars and shit like that to become a giant puzzle box so presumably if this is the last in chronological order then pinhead's trapped forever as far as we know so there you go what a nice ending hmm. uh yeah so i i can't remember if i said it or not but this is a clive barker presents as well because right. he was executive producer right um so this was adam scott's first role mm-hmm. uh, in a film and adam scott you guys might know him he's the uh, older brother and um stepbrothers he's 
the he's Ben from Parks and Rec, mm. second podcast in a row where I mention um, Adam Scott. Actually, no, only if you're a uh, Patreon listener. So, right, um, that was in the Josie and Pussycats episode. I mentioned that. So join our Patreon, join the ten dollar tier, and if you want to hear that podcast, he but, talks about Adam Scott in it. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. What else? What else might you know Adam Scott from? Um, the Secret Life he, of Walter Mitty. Like. Yeah, like you, you, you'll know Adam Scott if yeah, you don't yeah. know the name, but you look him up, you'll know who he is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he he enjoyed the film, enjoyed, uh, took it very seriously. Apparently, on his first day, his chair was labeled Adam Craig, oh. and he was like, "Yeah, that was a great introduction to Hollywood." <laughs> um, and then he auditioned for the fifth film as well because he just hoped that no one would remember him, <laughs> and he was like, "I want to try this again," but he ended up not getting the roles. Right. So maybe they remembered him. Maybe they just didn't think he was very good. It is a very un Adam Scotty role. He's like one of the 1700s cultists yeah so he's like a he's the assistant to, yeah to yeah yeah so it's yeah, not it's real weird yeah yeah you wouldn't see him take a role like that anymore unless i guess he was trying to branch out but is it really branching out if you're just returning to what you did exactly. before uh guillermo del toro was offered a chance to direct this film oh this yeah man he would do it great yeah um, and also, um, I've just got here as well. Um, the word Cenobite means member of a monastic order. Uh, well, can I have, I have a question? Yes yeah. no. How many people found that interesting? Uh, it, it's none yet. It's, it says, is this interesting? And you can be the first to vote. Uh, click it, man. So, yeah. yeah. Click no. Well, I'm just going off the IMDb trivia. <laughs> click no, because we already know this. It's been in the last <laughs> few. It's, it's actually not in the second one. Yeah, oh, there you go um but it was on one three and four so next that was the last theatrically released film oh really um and so now we're in the realm of straight to video yeah and the 2000s yeah so next we had hellraiser inferno yeah that came out in 2000 and do you remember did you take notice of who directed this who directed it uh scott derrickson how do we know that name uh, he directed Insidious and Doctor Strange. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This is his first film. Nice. Yeah, so the... the Remember in the Mission Impossible episode where we kind of talked about how each Mission Impossible represented the time era it was released in? Like, I feel like the Hellraiser movies kind of do that as well. And none is it more obvious in uh, Hellraiser Inferno um which is the first of like this one and the next two make up a trilogy of what is essentially the same film with like a different hook like this is the the they all feel very similar they all have very similar um like you know if i was to describe the hellraiser series in in general i'd say what's really interesting about it is that do you remember the the blink episode of doctor who like one of the uh, I've never actually seen it but I'm aware right. of it. It's one of the only episodes of Doctor Who I've seen and I loved it and was not at all tempted to watch any more episodes. But <laughs> that's because the doctor's barely in it and it's more like a story that is made possible through the mythology of the doctor but not about him. It's very bodily yeah. episode. And that's what a lot of the Hellraiser films feel like. They feel like a separate film that adopted Pinhead so that they could get funding to make it. <laughs> like, well, wouldn't you like to know then, oh. this was actually originally a non-Hellraiser script, <laughs> which was changed to insert Pinhead in the series. We box. are good. We are so good at this now, dude. We can pick it. <laughs> um, yeah, so Hellraiser Inferno... Um, 
is about a oh is he a detective yeah it's like a get it's a gritty cop cop drama film noir yeah and yeah no it so, turns yeah. out he was the murderer yeah like that's, so that's it he's no there's more to it man there's more to it he um he's investigating a series of murders you finally um, have an easy one to explain and you're like, no, 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 I'm no I'll take detail. care of this. Um, he's investigating a series of murders, but he's also got like a very dodgy personal life. Like you see him right at the start, he cheats on his wife and he explains to you via narration, oh, you know, it's a hard job. You kind of need to let off steam. Um, and then wouldn't you know it, the first, well, not the first, but one of the victims of the serial killer they're hunting is the the uh, prostitute he's just slept with. Um, yeah. which is a sex worker I do apologise um, I'm going to be politically correct no is it yeah. even politically correct I don't know whatever anyway anatomically correct yeah um, and <laughs> so they um, the, so to try, try like kind of try and cover his tracks he like gets rid of a bit of evidence which means he also has to bring his partner into the fray and be like hey I banged this lady and now she's dead so I've hidden some evidence um you're not allowed to tell anyone anyway it's just a series of him interrogating different people and then they all end up dead um and at the end he's he finds out as you say that that he was secretly the murderer the whole time but he didn't really know it and it's like hellraise it's 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 pinhead's punishment (laughs) for him being like a bad person like you know cheating on his wife and and stuff like like a saw film yeah yeah um and it ends with him getting pulled apart like ripped apart by hooks and chains um only for him to wake up next to the sex worker from the start of the movie and he goes to work find out that she's dead again and the, the the resolve of the movie is that he's now trapped in an endless loop of this it's a good ending. It is, it's a good mm. ending. Like, it's his hell. He's in hell, essentially. And his hell yeah. is forever reliving this horrible series of events. Um, the whole thing is filmed with, like, a touch of sepia tone. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah. it looks like a, um, like a, like a level from Grand Theft Auto at sunset. <laughs> like yeah. The whole thing kind of looks like that. And there are two ways I'd start describing. You could describe um all of the movies but i feel like especially now that i know that they start straight to dvd i reckon you could describe all of if not a lot of a lot of the sequels as one of two ways either it feels like a non-triple a playstation 2 game um that you that you rent out on a on a saturday night um it feels like the driver to grand theft auto you know like it right. it feels like the the one that's not quite as famous but it did all right and you play it and like inferno especially feels like you're playing like a point and click detective story like yeah. there's there's players and there's developments and you revisit locations and you acquire objects um and that kind of thing um oh he opens the lemon configuration by the way that's how how pinhead gets yeah. involved um but the other way i'd describe this movie and this might i might be going out on a limb here because this might be something that only i really experienced growing up but did you ever um get out of bed no, no that's just you dude. you're in bed now um no did you ever get out of bed in the middle of the night when you were like 11 or 12 i'm talking like 3 to 4 a.m and sneak into the lounge and turn on the tv and just uh, watch what was on yeah do you know actually i did this one time where 
I got out of bed and I like started getting ready and I put on SpongeBob, but SpongeBob wasn't on yet. And it's because I'd woken up like two hours earlier. <laughs> so I'm talking like you haven't even gone to sleep yet. Like yeah. you, were, you've gotten up earlier, like to, for the purpose of watching late night TV. I used to be fascinated by this. Yeah. The Hellraiser films, they may be a bit too scary to completely apply to this, but definitely in terms of like the plot they feel like the movie I would turn on at 4 a.m. Yeah. and it would be the on. The tone and the aesthetic, and yeah. like the way it's shot, the way it looks, the, the production value, it's all there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I kind of I kind of really liked Inferno <laughs> because it, yeah. it transported me to that kind of mindset. And so I so the the next I think three or four movies I actually watched in two parts because I kept falling asleep. Um yeah. but this Yeah, Inferno is actually pretty good. It's one of those things you can tell it actually kinda has a good director behind it. Yeah, there's a story um, that wants to be told in this. Yeah. It's a good it's got no critic score to be fair, but uh it's got some good reviews. Um people the general consensus of this film is like it's decent, but its biggest flaw is that it's a Hellraiser movie. <laughs> totally, man. Totally. It, uh, it reminded me of something like Existence. Not not in any tangible way. I could have just it's not <laughs> the, the plot isn't similar to Existence. It just fits that kind of grotty kind of aesthetic and uncomfortable and dirty and slimy kind of storyline being told. Yeah. Uh, it was the first film to have absolutely no input from Clive Barker as well. Mm. Uh, and also, this is a fun fact, um, the word Cenobite means a member of a monastic order. What's monastic mean? Uh, it's like as in like a monastery. Oh, I, f- I find that pretty interesting. Monastic. Do I haven't actually looked up what it means. Relating to monks, nuns, or other living religious vows under all the buildings mm. they which they live. Mm. A monk or other follower of a monastic rule. All right. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Hellraiser Inferno 2000. Next, we had Hellraiser, Hellseeker, directed by Rick Bota. Uh, what's this one about? Okay. Ne- Kirsty's back. Yeah. No, I remember that part. Um, never have I watched a film that felt more like a dream than Hellraiser, Hellseeker. Yeah, that's, it's supposed to, though, like the way it cuts between its scenes and stuff. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to, but it doesn't make it any easier to follow. Like, <laughs> this is one of those movies where someone will, like, experience, like, some horrific torture, and then they'll wake up, and you'll be like, oh, it was just a dream, and then they keep living their life in that reality, and then something else horrific happens, and they wake up again, and you're like, wait, so are we, was he dreaming that he was dreaming? Like, it's very, it's it's very tactless, yeah. and it's, it's like story beats. Um, but no, it's about Kirsty and her like new husband. Um, they're driving and they get into an argument or something, and the car goes into the water. And Kirsty, the guy wakes up in hospital, and Kirsty is now missing. To which I would have said, Presumed oh, dead. Oh, "Oh, she just drowned." But they never yeah. say, "No, we drained the car and couldn't find her body." Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they never say that. So you're left to just assume that's what's happened because otherwise <laughs> it's this like huge elephant in the room. Um, but no, so he he's basically going around trying to piece together like memories that that he kind of forgot to work out what happened. Um, and in the end, it's revealed that he, much like the guy from. Hellraiser Inferno is also living in a hell, 
but his hell is that he actually died in the car and Kirsty's the one who's actually alive. And, and Kirsty fucking they were they were having troubles. He was he was a dick. He was cheating on her. I yeah. think. That feels right. Yeah. And so she purposely killed him, I guess. Um, yeah, she was pointing a gun at him when they um, yeah. crashed. But also, um, just to help you visualize this as well, the main character in this film is played by the Vulture from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, if you out there have seen that, and it's one of those, and he's also if you watch Thirty Rock, he's uh, Liz's ex boyfriend Dennis. Um, and he, he should stick to those roles. <laughs> to be honest, he's great at playing like a it's just such a fucking douchebag. Mm. Um, but like like this false sense of confidence. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he, he I, I, I actually kind of thought he did an alright job. But I was like. I'm just not going to be able to take him seriously as anything right. other than the vulture. So the the this film had the most for me anyway was the most like ugh, moment, <laughs> which yeah. was right at the start one of his like many layers of dreams that he keeps waking up from and falling back into is like doctors putting a a pin in his brain like his exposed brain and oh, i don't know yeah. why but it got me i was like ah, yeah. i don't want to see this <laughs> yeah um, that was fucking gross yeah and it ended with the um kirsty's walking away from the exit scene of the accident and one of the cops is like oh hey um we found something and they hand her the lemon configuration which her apparently did the whole time boyfriend or husband had given her as like an anniversary present much to her chagrin and she sort of takes it and um leaves and yeah maybe she uses it again no we never see her again (laughs) no Um, that's it that's it for kirsty but yeah this is kirsty from the first film yeah um yeah which is weird that they yeah but uh anyway this received a zero percent on ron tomatoes Mm mm-hmm uh, but 33% with audiences. So, uh, yeah, this was originally a non-Hellraiser film. It's there. That's becoming apparent because Pinhead, <laughs> I don't think I even mentioned him in that plot yeah. summary, but he's there. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, Clive Barker had some input on this one. He influenced the third act a little bit. Um, but that was the last time he had anything to do with any of the films, I believe. Hmm. Do, uh, do you, like Kirsty, who's the actress who plays Kirsty? Do you remember her name? Uh, Ashley Lawrence. So in the first three films that she's in, um, she looks exactly like Winona Ryder from the same time <laughs> period. And I'm not saying she looks a little bit like her. Like my sister watched some of Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 with me, and she was like, is that Winona Ryder? And I was like, no, but it should be, right? But then in Hellseeker, I didn't even recognize her. <laughs> so she, she grew up, it's this weird kind of uncanny valley thing where she she aged enough to no longer look like Winona Ryder, but still look like the actress that she is. <laughs> yeah. The the stars, apparently, the cast and crew, uh, Dimension Films, who produced them, um, put the cast and crew under a gag order, which means they're not allowed to speak about it. However, um, Ashley Lawrence did break the gag order um by stating that she'd only been paid enough for the film to make a payment towards a new fridge Ugh. yeah kind of sad eh? yeah <laughs> uh but then on the flip side of that 
Um, this is this, I think that's super interesting. There's an uncredited co-worker who interrupts Trevor and Brett at the water cooler. Uh, the director referred to him as the ten thousand dollar extra wow. because uh, labor laws of British Columbia forbode directors they for, forbid them from uh, directly instructing non-speaking extras. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All orders have to go through the uh, assistant director, and Boda told the man to play the scene slightly differently, and so he had to get like a few thousand dollars extra because he like... Score, payday. Yeah. Um, I did actually... And he put it towards the new fridge. ...accidentally find a piece of trivia about this film as well, oh. Richard. Um, what is it? Did you know that Cenobite actually refers to um, someone from a monastery? <laughs> I can't remember. Damn it. That would have been The word such... Cenobite means a member of a monastic order. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, Zero of One found this interesting. So. There you go. Um, okay. <laughs> this one will be interesting. Hellraiser Deader, 2005. Sorry, could you say that title again? Hellraiser Deader, 2005. Deader? Dead, as in more dead. (laughs) Um, This was again directed by Rick Boda. Um, Synopsis. Yep, so again, it's more or less the same thing, uh, but this time the main character is a female journalist who's known for doing, like, hard-hitting stories, um, such as she, like, becomes a heroin addict or something. (laughs) Anyway, um, it starts, and her, her, like, chief... What do you call, like, a journalist boss editor in chief uh, editor, and, ed- editor yeah he tell he shows her this videotape that he's come um into possession of which shows like this cult um and they like murder someone and then they bring her back to life and the cult are called deaders like they are you a deader is a noun you are a deader um and so she goes to unveil and explore this cult more and Pinhead's, you know. He's there as well. Yeah. <laughs> because it was an unrelated horror script, which yeah. is um, added. So was the film um, just going to be called Deader originally? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what did you think of this one? You're, you're getting a little bit tired by this point. Because it's yeah. like, oh, this man, <laughs> another one. 17% with critics, 25% with audience. I have two fun facts about this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is that the word Cenobite means member of a monastic order. And two, I have literally nothing to say about this film. I could sit here for an hour and I would not be able to come up with anything to say about this film. I'm trying to think. Um, no, the only thing I can think of is that halfway through, my friend Stephen messaged me uh, at like 2am and asked if I wanted to go get McDonald's with him. And I said, yep. I saw that on your Instagram. And so I finished it the next day. That's what happened. <laughs> like... That you honestly, put that on the trivia section. <laughs> honestly, you could uh, you could convince me that I didn't see this film. <laughs> I think did- I have like be- because the three of them, the three of those ones blend together so much, mm. and because it's such a look up and see what's happening film, I'm just like, 
maybe I fell asleep. I don't know, but I I saw the film. I I keep a list of I keep a diary of all the films I watch, and it's in there. So you've got written um, proof that you watched it, but you don't. Yeah. you don't retain. But the I have no recollection of it. I remember them saying the word "deader" and being like, "Ah, oh, okay." Mm, yeah. Um. No, I feel like this one had a happy ending, and that's what distinguishes it. But maybe it doesn't. We'll have to watch it again. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Next, the same year we had Hellraiser: Hellworld, uh, which was also directed by Rick Bader. Uh, and this was, I'm just going to say Rotten Tomatoes score, 20% critics, 22% audience. That's What's crazy that it was directed by the same guy and came out in the same year. Yeah, and do you know, they were actually filmed back to back in 2002. What do you mean? They Like, they, you know, you film films back to back. Oh, right, right. No, yeah. um, the... And, but they filmed it in 2002. You couldn't, you couldn't have two more different sequels <laughs> than these two films because Hellworld ends the trilogy of inferno hellseeker deader and then goes to what could only be described as the like other trope of sequels that we're starting to see crop up a bit at least partially in a lot of the franchises we watch uh and this is the like tongue-in-cheek meta sequel this is the uh, the new nightmare or the um beethoven's big break big break of the of the um hellraiser series this feels a little bit more like a scream film than a hellraiser film and Mm. for that reason it's the fact they came out in the same year is baffling but the fact they're directed (laughs) by the same creative voice is equally as baffling um yeah so this film is about um there's a video game the video game is called hellworld and it's ostensibly hellraiser um but it's got the pinhead character in the game he's a character in the game he's like a villain in the game but it's not like someone who looks like pinhead it's doug bradley's pinhead so presumably there is an argument i guess that this takes place outside of the continuity of the movies anyway the characters um it starts at a funeral where their friend who played too much hell world has died from like a hell world related murder or death or something and so it's a couple years after that and they get back into the game and are invited to a like convention party for Hellworld fanatics where you turn up um and enjoy various Hellworld related um like party antics and everyone's wearing like masks with their cell phone numbers on it so that you can call them if you want to get freaky with one of them um anyway the main characters um meet um the the owner of the house who's like a massive hell world collector and um he ends up killing them off one by one um in various different like graphic ways we find out at the end of the film he's actually the father of the friend they had who died and he blames them and so he's killing them off um, so that, as like revenge. Um, and two of the main characters get away from it in the end. Uh, yeah, so that's basically the plot of the movie. Mm. Um, Henry Cavill's in this film? Yeah, so this is our second Henry Cavill franchise. Yeah. <laughs> There's another uh, little useless statistic for It's you. our second uh, franchise which features Henry Cavill and also features a film which came out this year. Yeah, that's true. 
I like rolling multiple statistics into one statistic. <laughs> uh, it yeah, also man. stars, uh, what's his name? Lance Henriksen? Yes, Lance Henriksen. As as the, the father. Why? Well, yeah. yeah, the father, um, evil and revenge. Yeah, he was actually offered the role of Frank Cotton in the original, but turned it down for a role in the vampire film Near Dark. Oh, well, Near Dark's a classic, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, a lot of reviews say... It's it's good, but it's not a good Hellraiser film, mm. uh, which is because it was based on an existing horror script called Dark Can't Breathe. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's so yeah. weird. Uh, but yeah, what did you think of this one? Um, look, it's very... We experienced this with Beethoven and that we probably... I'm guessing anyway, we haven't told each other what we think yet, but I'm guessing we enjoyed it more than how good it was purely because of the time and place that we saw it and the context we saw it in, which was after yeah. watching, what, six other Hellraiser films, seven other Hellraiser films, you get to this one that's vaguely refreshing in how it does the story. Like, it's it's yeah. meta, it makes fun of itself. They say Hellraiser in this film for the first time in the franchise. They use the word <laughs> Hellraisers, which means, like, someone who plays Hellworld. Um so I I didn't like the ending. So at the end of the film you find out that that the the father it has was like a shared delusion. Yeah, it's it's a shared delusion where he's like drugged them all through various ways and they're actually all being buried alive and they all kill themselves except for the two that survive in a way that relates to how we see them die. So the guy who lost his inhaler um before he got his head chopped off like suffocates because he doesn't have his inhaler in the coffin the um girl who um has her head buzzsawed open like what did she she like pulled out her eyes or something like that i can't remember yeah. and then henry cavill just dies of fear which was kind of lazy considering yeah um yeah henry cavill gets a blowjob in this movie as well <laughs> And it's real weird. <laughs> yep, go on Because they're, they're all wearing masks and her, she's lifted hers up so it's like perpendicular to her head kind of Like, thing, you almost. know, lads, when you're getting a blowjay and... You- <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that like, her head's like, she's obviously like going up and down but then there's like a mask just staring him in the face going up and down as yeah. well. And it looks real weird. And, and then it does a yeah. scary face. Henry Cavill's kind of a weird dude. <laughs> um... I don't know. I was like reading all the stuff about why Henry Cavill's real shady, oh. and then seeing this film and like watching interviews with him as well. He, you watch watch an interview with Henry Cavill, and uh, there's he says things that he thinks are going to get a huge reaction from the audience, and he does this kind of like eye raise, head wobble, gl- side glance to the audience. If you watch any interview with Henry Cavill, you'll know exactly what I mean. Like go and you'll be able to um, point it out. Uh, and it's just kind of like, I don't know, something weird about him. You don't like Henry off. Cavill? I don't know, I want to. He's a massive Warcraft nerd as well, apparently. So the MMORPG stuff in this film was very close to home for him. You're adding him to like the Hall of Fame or Shame of different celebrities that you don't like. Yeah, I like, don't know. I, I, didn't I, think I like Henry him. Would I just like, he just makes me a little bit uneasy. Right, fair enough. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Now, AJ, I have a question for you. I feel like there's more to say about Hellworld, but I don't know. Yeah, it's actually... Yeah. It should be the one we talk about the most, but 
I, I was just real unmoved by it. And like, oh, okay. So by the way, Pinhead is real in it. Um, you yeah. find out at the end that he is actually a living entity because the the dad, after he escapes, gets the Lamon configuration and opens it. And he's like, what the hell? Because he thinks it's just a toy or a prop. And Pinhead turns up and kills him. Um, but yeah, so oh, it, I guess yeah. it does exist in the same continuity and we can't. Yeah, this um this also had um you know there's like the that we talked about in Hellseeker the like um thing going into his brain yeah um this had one real visceral thing for me as well when he's when one of the guys is holding the Le Mans configuration but it's like a fake one and these two like pins come up through his thumb yeah and one like pierces through his nail from like from one one side of his thumb to the other it comes up through his nail yeah and then one's like just below that yeah that was real like ugh. I think even just describing it explains exactly what you how you felt yeah. Um, but also, AJ, do you know what the word Cenobite means? Um, it's someone who's part of a monastic order. Yeah, um, so Zero of Three found that interesting on this film. You're going to have a lot of hate right. in your heart to not find a piece of IMDb trivia interesting. Because it's not like it deletes it. It's not like mm. it downvotes it into like a unseen category. It's just saying, nah, this fact's shit. Maybe it's because whoever was reading it had already read it on the other hellraiser movies that it mentions yeah all right aj here we are we've gone through eight films here we are at hellraiser revelations in 2011 directed by victor garcia so there's what do you have to say there's quite a large gap between this film and the last film yeah six years yeah that's the longest we've seen i think in the series so far there was a five-year gap Mm, and i oh it wasn't no there wasn't oh I didn't um, know yeah. that until watching it. I Before watching this movie, I assumed it probably came out in like 2006 or seven. you know? that's yeah. Then I was like, 2011? Oh, that's interesting. And then I immediately thought, that's probably not a good thing. Because the this feels like we're in soft reboot territory now. And... <laughs> this... Okay, what's it about, real quickly? So this movie... It, it's like couple of guys go to mexico yeah they find the lamont configuration yeah and it drives one of them crazy yeah and he returns and to dies. well that's part well that's one half of the story the other one is he returns back home where the two boys have gone missing and visits the family and kind of they think he's like so just survived something but he's actually come back to torment them for their various yeah because he's wearing the other guy's skin as well yeah right? yeah yeah um and so they think it's one of the sons but it's actually the other son um and yeah and he tries to kill them all and summons pinhead who kills everyone but the sister slash girlfriend of the like that so you think it's one guy and it's revealed to be the other so you think it's the one guy and the main chick is his sister it's revealed to be the other guy who was dating her anyway that's just for semantics but the yeah so it's like half set in tijuana and half set in this house um, and there's like one survivor and then it it ends and uh this film Richard, and some of it's found footage yeah yeah some of it's found footage but not all of it they don't want to commit to it but this film richard is a franchise's worst nightmare <laughs> this is an absolute garbage bag of a film this is one of the worst movies we've watched on this podcast. <laughs> this is up there, man. This is like, this is the other ones I'm like ambivalent about. This one starts and it's just an absolute 
Oh, I was just, I was, I made me, it offended me. Like I, I was talking to a friend about that. as a Hellraiser fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not like it, it's not like it's an offensive film, but if you like Hellraiser films, you'd be offended by this film. And the reason for that, the main, the main thing is that for whatever reason that I'm sure you'll tell me soon, um, Doug Bradley didn't return as Pinhead, um, and they recast him with probably the the worst casting decision they cast like this frumpy kind of chubby dude okay yeah honestly (laughs) yeah this is like stop what you're doing right now and google pinhead yeah look at the photos that come up get that idea in your head he looks pretty bad i see looks pretty cool now search pinhead revelations and you'll see this weird chubby cheeked fucking baby faced weirdo that we got stuck with in this film it is infuriating and it's it's just like especially now that i've come to respect and really like pinhead yeah, as well exactly yeah it's assault it's an assault on the senses and like so you there's this there, it's just a bad movie as well like like there are red flags all over it of like this was made for not a lot of money by people with no experience things like one of the main actors is trying i think he's trying to do an american accent one of the dads is trying to do right. an american accent but he is he can't he mustn't be american because his his accent's all over the place there's like there's like tangential storylines which i'm not really sure how they connect back to the story and in, in, in the in any way there's things like um there's like plot contrivances like um oh yeah, before any of the dangers showed up, they mentioned that they live out in the country, so there's no cell phone reception. And it's like, oh, well, that's very convenient for your housebound horror movie then, isn't it? <laughs> like, there's a part where the, the son who's returned home is, like, like in sort of like a, a trance state, and he's standing out by the pool, and he's like, they don't, they don't want me to be happy. And they're like, what, who are you talking about? And he looks at them and he goes, the Cenobites. And it's like, is this Scary Movie 3? Is this the the kid from Scary Movie 3 who, like, tells people, like, ominous ways that they're about to die? Like, and <laughs> so, and then, then there's a part, oh, God, there's, so they put, the boy comes home, the lost son, one of the lost sons comes home, and they they put him to bed, and they, they um, they're like, I'll make, the mum's like, I'll make you some soup. So she goes and makes some soup, and she sends, the person we think is his sister, because remember, he's an imposter. Remember that. But you think it's still the guy at this point. And they send his sister, who, by the way, she's dressed in a way that, like, you just wouldn't wear that around your family. You wouldn't wear yeah. that in, like, for, like, a family night out. And it's very clearly, like, the, the, the costume department trying to go for sex appeal. Like, this is our sexy actress. Let's put her in the film. But you just, I, like, you just wouldn't wear that and with, around, around your family. She's not going out or anything. She's staying yeah. at home. Anyway, um, so she she enters the room and gives him... And, some, like, your brother's just gone missing yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And your boyfriend. So she, she enters back into the room and... um she gives him the soup and then there's like a little bit of like flirty tension between them. And I was like, oh. and then he like, he, <laughs> he like leans in and like starts kissing her and he like cups her breast 
as he's doing it. And I was like, I don't want to watch this. Like, I don't want to watch this movie. Like, it's like it's already, like, offensive as a Hellraiser fan. It's already got all these red flags of, like, a, of, like, a stereotypical bad movie. And now you're throwing something as, like, uncomfortable as irrevocably incest, like, in there. Like, it is... Uh, it, <laughs> it made me so upset i wanted to just turn it off at that point and you know like there are there are movies that have incest in it and it's fine like or yeah, like, it's fucking hot <laughs> like arrested development you know big incestuous plots and that and it's hilarious but this just felt less like trying to be creepy and weird and more just like someone executing some weird fantasy they have and Ah oh, man, <laughs> and you know, at the end of the film, you find out it's actually her boyfriend wearing the brother's skin. But you also, she didn't know that. Like first, of all, we didn't know that, so we think it is the brother making out with the sister. But then she doesn't know that either, so she willingly made out with her brother. And I think it's just so that she had a sin, so that when he's when he shoots his dad and is holding everyone ransom, waiting for Pinhead, that he has like because he reveals like the dad cheated on the mum and all that kind of shit. And then she's like, oh, and little sister who made out with her big brother, kind of thing. And I think that's the yeah. only reason it's in there is that she she has something to be ashamed of. Um. And then, so, they 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 go into the the pinhead world, like the chains and hooks world, and he's slowly like, some of them are already dead by this point, but he he's they're about they get real mad at the bad guy. They're like, no, you have you have sinned against whatever, so you're actually gonna go to hell, not these guys, because he's like, oh, I thought we could trade, and they're like, there is no trading, which I don't know why you would assume you could trade with a with a demon, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, like like you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't assume that would work. He seems so confident that this will work that I'll trade my yeah. my family members for my own soul. Um. And but that doesn't work. So they're about to drag him to hell, and then the the dad, the still alive dad, pulls out a gun and shoots him. And he's like, you know, I'm not letting. You know, I'm gonna take care of this. And the faux pinhead is like, oh, you fool! Like the amount of torture he would have suffered for eternity would mean way more than what you know what you have just given him there and so they he takes the mother the still alive mother as like punishment for the dad and then i think the dad dies as well and it just ends with the daughter the pinhead telling the daughter like oh you you you're being spared here's the lemon configuration maybe one day you'll you'll use it and it ends there with her rolling it around in her hands in her lounge where everyone's all her family members being killed with enough trauma to like put you in psychiatric help for the rest of your life um <laughs> and it ends there promising a sequel um do you want to know any behind the scenes trivia for this film yeah man i'm sure there's a lot all right um this is the first time since Bloodline, the fourth film, that a Hellraiser film was written to be a Hellraiser film. No shit. I could have guessed it wasn't because it's so... Actually, no, because it involves the the drinking blood to come back from the dead aspect from the first film that we yeah, haven't the seen first time since, then, since, yeah. since then. So, um, AJ, mm. would you believe me 
if I told you that this entire film from start to finish was made in three weeks. Yep. <laughs> because it was. It Eleven days one, of that was shooting. It took one week longer to make this film than it took us to watch the entire series and record a podcast on it. Yeah, man. So, uh, I don't know how much you know about the film industry or uh, our fans out there, but um, anyone who's familiar with the behind the scenes uh, reasoning for uh, Fantastic Four that came out in 2015 or The Amazing Spider-Man, which came out in 2012. These films and Hellraiser Revelations exist because uh, movie studios have to, to maintain the rights to a film franchise, have to keep producing films in the franchise. Of course, it's so obvious now. <laughs> oh, of course that's why it was made. So, uh, yeah. They, they had to make one uh, or the, they were going to lose the rights. And uh, we'll talk a bit more about this and continue the franchise, but they've been trying to do a remake of the original film since 2006. So they want to keep the the rights so they can eventually do that, So they, but they have to keep making sequels. Doug Bradley, as we mentioned, declined to appear. Um, he released a statement. Uh, I wrote the whole thing here, but I don't know if I read the whole thing. But basically he said... Yeah, everyone's everyone knows now they're making a new film. Um, I you want to know if I'm going to be playing Pinhead again? Uh, I was approached in uh, last week on 16th of August regarding a new Hellraiser film. Uh, it's not the remake. It's going to be called Revelations. It's the ninth film. I've had no contact or negotiations from anyone from Dimension Films, um, but they're just from private discussions with the people involved in the project. Uh, the Ink is barely dry on the script. It has to be in front of the camera in two weeks and in the can by the middle of next month. So but on the, two weeks from the 16th of August, it was going to be being filmed and it had to be finished by the uh, middle of September. So he basically said, I don't know if they're getting someone else to pay, pay in head. I don't know what's happening. We'll find out together. And he did also say that his salary he was offered was the price of a fridge. Which is how people measure salaries in Pinhead. Um, is that, in is that a coincidence or is he? <laughs> I have a no idea. But so a guy called Stephen Smith Collins played Pinhead, um, and the film was released in one cinema, which was um, for cast and crew, and ostensibly open to the public. But um, also, uh, there was some. Um, uh, Clive Barker and Douglas Bradley haven't commented on the film. Barker's comments are in response to claims that the film comes from the mind of Clive Barker. He posted on Twitter, I have nothing to do with the fucking thing. If they claim it's from the mind of Clive Barker, it's a lie. It's not even from my butthole. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the type of thing... Like, cause, so this is the... This would have been the last film... Because the, the the next one, the tenth one, came out this year. So yeah. if we had covered Hellraiser when this podcast started, we would have. Or this even w- when we got Freddy vs Jason, huh? Or even when we got Freddy vs yeah. Jason, if that was like yeah, we did Freddy vs Jason vs Revelations, would have been the last one we got. And that's mm. depressing to think of that for a long time, because you know, two thousand eleven to two thousand eighteen, this was seven years, yeah, longest gap. Wow, true, and that was the only that was it. That's all you got, baby. Like you got, this is the last Hellraiser film until you yeah. know, as far as you know. So, yeah. Oh. But um, yeah. You look at you look at the um, the pinhead from from this film, and it actually looks like something out of like epic movie. Mm. 
No, this film and the the production value is very Asylum yeah. or um this you know, this date film movie. this film feels like a Saturday Night Live sketch where nothing funny happens. Like it's it's yeah. got that dinner it, yeah, party. It, it feels like a parody yeah. that just you take out the humor. Yeah, you know how like SNL sketches are always set in dinner parties. There's so yeah. <laughs> so many that just dinner parties. <laughs> like this this is set in a dinner party. That's what it feels like. You keep yeah. you keep waiting for like like I don't know like um. Who's a who's a SNL alumni? Ken Thompson. Yeah, Ken Thompson to come out as Hellra as Pinhead and be like, "Oh, Jesus!" Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> like it just it's yeah it's like it it yeah. something is has gone wrong with this film, yep. and now I know why. And it's as satisfying but equally as disappointing as I thought it would be. Yeah, I, I, I like this was one of the main reasons because I was reading about this a few weeks ago and um i was like yeah i really wanted to see what you thought of the film without knowing anything behind the scenes or if you'd be able to work it out oh you can tell Um, some of that i mean i just didn't think about it but watching it like because it starts it starts found footage and i was like you know what it's a good idea do a do a like probably not now but in 2011 yeah man do a found footage uh like retelling of a of a classic horror movie then that's a good idea you couldn't do it now but you know now it would be like a um it would be like skype recordings yeah screen screen life <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh oh no so yeah it's like two more things about this film two more quick pieces of trivia one uh nico the, the main character guy um his mum and dad are only two and seven years older than him what on earth that's a that's amazing it's, yeah. that's kind of amazing like yeah. i guess it's he looks young wouldn't it it's yeah. not the other way around and also um the word cenobite actually means member of a monastic order what's a cenobite? All right, which brings us to this year 2018 2k a18 um hellraiser judgment directed by gary j tunnicliffe, tunnicliffe. What, what is this one about so this one is um Oh, this one is about a pair of brothers who are detectives. They're two brothers. The film is just called Two Brothers. <laughs> um, no, and they are investigating a a serial killer, very reminiscent of like the one from Seven, because uh, he's like a he's based in like biblical ideas. But instead of the Seven Deadly Sins, he's killing people after the um the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Um, and the yeah, and the, this like new hotshot cop joins them and she's a lady cop and they're like we're gonna find this this killer and then parallel to this story not pinhead but like pinhead's little minion does he have a name i want to call him uh, the auditor the auditor so the auditor and he's played by the director as well he's played by the director do you know what i wondered if um stephen smith collins was the director of hellraiser revelations because i couldn't think of another reason why <laughs> they would cast that guy um now, so the auditor who is like a bald dude with like big round Final Fantasy anime um, black sunglasses and like scars all over his face that almost looks like he's been patched together from other pieces of skin. Yeah. So he basically lures people like bad people into his house and he interviews them and writes down all their sins. And then this big fat dude comes out called, he's called the assessor and he eats your sins, the paper on which your sins are written. And then he vomits into a trough, which three topless women drink 
and tell you whether or not the person being assessed is guilty or not guilty. Um, this happens at the start with like a pedophile and that, that guy's then sent to be cleaned where a bunch of old naked ladies like lick him and then I can't remember the name of the last guy, but he he's like dressed in like a gimp suit and he comes mm. in and tears him apart. And it's basically like, as the film's title suggests, it's like a judgment. And yeah. so one of the cops investigating the Ten Commandments killer um, goes and winds up at this house and is judged for it. Um, it definitely feels like two movies stuck together. It does. Yeah. Um, and anyway, um, towards the end of the film, you discover that the brother, one of the brothers is actually the serial killer and he lures the other brother. No, he lures the female cop into like this house where he reveals it to her. Then he tries to kill her. And you think, spoilers, she's not dead, but you think she is. And then invites the brother over and he comes along with his, the the killer's wife who's been having an affair with the brother. And basically, um, what does he do? He summons, does he summon Pinhead? Someone? Yeah. Pin, yeah, Pinhead shows up again. And again, the brother's like, take these guys, they're, they're adulterers and they want to take the brother, obviously, because he's a serial killer. And so then an angel shows up and goes, actually, no, um, the the adulterers, we don't care about them, but the the killer is actually doing more for heaven because um, he is actually putting so much evil in the world that people are turning to the good, which is heaven. And I, again, we're in that territory where it's like, how can we piss off AJ's parents the most? Let's <laughs> let's make heaven corrupt. Like, <laughs> and so they she she convinces Pinhead to leave the killer alive and so he does and then when time starts again or whatever they return to the mortal realm the cop the female cop you thought was dead immediately shoots the brother um killing him and the angel gets real mad at, at pinhead and is like oh you did that on purpose and then he like hooks the angels and kills her and then he's like, well, you know, what was she going to punish us with? Eternal suffering? Like, we live for suffer suffering. And the auditor's like, he's got a German accent, by the way. And he's like, oh, but uh, um, I'm not going to do a German accent. But oh, do, do not whip me. I'm full of chocolate. No, he says, he's like, he's like, don't, don't. He basically says, but that's the, the angel that you just killed was the angel that banned Adam and Eve from the Garden of, of Eden banned banished um they're banned live do not let these people in um yeah, sorry you're not on the list <laughs> um and he's like so what if we are just banished and then the kind of last shot of the film is a humanized pinhead as like a, a bum on the street screaming that he's he wants to go back to his life as pinhead um and you mentioned as well, you messaged me today, there's a post credit scene of this film, which I missed. Yeah. So the post credit scene, um, it goes to Berlin, Germany. And the the um the the these two Mormons um bike up to a door and they knock on it and they're like, Guten Tag and they say like, Can we tell you about the good news of Jesus? And then it's revealed that No, then they just their faces drop and they like enter the building and then it cuts to the auditor and he's like two at once and it's not even a tuesday which <laughs> like ignore the fact that that's a stupid line yeah. <laughs> like but it's also like i thought the auditor was banished to the mortal realm it's apparently not so i guess it's setting up a sequel but not yeah. really 
All right, interesting. Um, what did you think of this one? The the start, the first like yeah. fifteen minutes. I was like, this is wonderful. Like this is schlocky and like they're they're chewing it, you know, they're 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 enjoying what it is, you know, because it's mm. it starts with the auditor torturing this pedophile. And I was like, this is great, man. This is this is yeah, you it's know like that setting up the rules with the vomit and the yeah, naked yeah, ladies. Yeah. It's it's kind of human centipede. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it sets it just sets up like a really like it just it it doesn't take itself seriously, I think. So you it 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 feels very fun you know yeah. it's schlocky schlocky's the right word um and so it started and i was like i this is all right like i'm kind of impressed with this um and then it uh it very much goes off the rails and it kind of just becomes like a fart in the wind of the of a movie like <laughs> it, the so i i kind of was interested in the two brothers and the the female cop storyline investigating a serial killer so i was like all right let's see where this goes but then when the brother who's revealed at the end to be the killer um winds up in the auditor's clutches like it's just him for like 35 minutes you don't yeah. return to the other characters at all so there's there's again there are red flags in the of like that kind of reek of like um inexperienced filmmakers i guess one thing that i i noticed is that when the the investigator the cops they go to the house of the the pedophile from the start because they're you know following the breadcrumbs um and the the landlady is like if he's in there then he's sitting in the cold and dark because he hasn't paid his rent for two weeks so i shut off power and so they enter the building and da da da, da and then at the, then a scene later he's like i'm gonna return to the house because i had a hunch about something which is kind of like pretty contrived because i was like why didn't you just do that before but anyway he enters the shot is he enters the room and he turns and yells off camera thanks for turning the power back on and then turns flicks the light switch and you don't see the landlady you don't hear the landlady and it's totally like oh we want him to return here but he kind of needs the lights on but we don't want to pay this actress to come back Oh, just have him walk in and yell off screen. You know, so it's it's stuff like that which feels very. Do you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned the landlady. Yeah. Because I don't know if you noticed in the opening credits, the first two credited actors Mm -hmm. are the brothers. Mm -hmm. The third is Heather Lagenkamp, who you might recognise as the main character from Nightmare on Elm Street. Quite a big get for the series. Yeah, yeah, totally. She plays the landlady she's in the film for 45 seconds in one scene and she's wearing old lady makeup just just give her a different character right? <laughs> or just like, cast someone else or don't just have the landlady not be that old yeah <laughs> no that's interesting um so yeah so that there's that aspect of it i i was enjoying it up until he gets pulled into the house and you, and he ends up having like nightmares and brings the brother to the house but of course it's cleaned out and stuff like that i really didn't enjoy the twist that he was the killer i just feel like you'd know We've seen it before yeah and you'd know it by that like they there's so much going into it that they've that they've written up and studied and the way that the the brother works it out the other brother works it out is that he says to him um oh god judges the wicked and the and the um blessed i don't know whatever he, he yeah. quotes he quotes a bible verse to him which is from a bible, book of the bible um where 
the called Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes means the what's the word? The name of the killer is like the pros, processor or something like that. The yeah, 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 that, yeah. yeah um, which means teacher, and Ecclesiastes means teacher. Therefore, the other brother works out. Oh my gosh, my brother's the killer. Richard, right. can you imagine if there was a serial killer called like the mechanic, and then I was talking to you about something, and I yeah. mentioned like the spanish word for mechanic and then you went aj's the killer like it's a very it's a bit of a stretch isn't it like um i also didn't didn't like that the like final showdown they they jump through hoops to get to the same result that you would only have to jump through one hoop to get through so like if you want to kill off the characters you didn't have to then trick pinhead into to doing all the work you did like i don't know it was stuff like that that's just right yeah real average so better much better than revelations a step forward but by no means a um return to form. a good film yeah yeah 50 percent with critics so yeah yeah that's fine highest in a while um so yeah uh we re- we get a new pinhead again in this film mm. um a third actor um and he's slightly redesigned um the director's a massive Doctor Strange fan, so the leather in Pinhead's robes has the eye of Agamotto crafted into it, That's... which is the series' second Doctor Strange connection. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, no, this the guy who plays Pinhead's fine in this. Like, yeah, no, yeah, I actually thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, it's it's Pinhead's quite a blank canvas in terms of, like, he just looks like a normal guy, but he has pins in his head you know yeah. and the the problem with you want like a peter cushing kind of yeah 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 totally and the problem with revelations is they cast someone who looks specific you could describe stephen smith collins you know yeah. whereas this other guy who plays him as you know a tall white dude skinny white dude and that's enough yeah so um gary j tunnicliffe is the director of this film mm-hmm. he wrote revelations um, no Oh, but uh, he wrote and directed this film but he was the um special effects artist for all of the hellraiser films since hell on earth the third one hmm. um, but he wrote hellraiser revelations he wrote judgment and then uh later on removed all references to hellraiser to try and make it as an indie film in 2013 he actually started a kickstarter which um was cancelled <laughs> Because no one would really story. back it. it canceled, he cancelled it after making 4% of its goal. And if you find like a cache of the page, it's really sad to read. Because he's like, because it was like Judgment, a horror film like no other. And there's like a trailer for it. And he's like, hey, um, I thought we put something together really special. But, um, you know, it didn't work out. And that's fine. And it's like, oh my God. That's what um, would happen to me if I started a Kickstarter, dude. <laughs> yeah. But then um, Dimension was about to lose the rights again. And um unless they made another film so they um made so he, he was real passionate about this film and they, they you know they brought back his first one with all the hellraiser references um and they were like okay you have to pitch us something else so he made one called enter darkness to prove that he was capable of coming out with other ideas than judgment but uh, eventually they said fine touch up your script submit it again but if we hate it you have to direct enter darkness for free it's like, fuck these like not allowed to do are... that <laughs> what yeah. kind of deal is that it's yeah. like if, if he agreed to that then just get him to say no we don't like it you have to direct this film for free i'm yeah, amazed yeah, yeah. that that's not what happened yeah uh and he, he did try to get uh doug bradley to return but he declined after learning that he'd need to sign a non-disclosure agreement to read the script 
That's a because they didn't want him trashing it online. He was like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, fair enough. It's written by the same guy who wrote Revelation. Um, But yeah, they got another. Paul T. Taylor is the guy. And uh, he was impressed by his audition for a different role and gave it to him. And Chatterer is the same actor we've seen before, though. Because Chatterer is in this film again. Uh, So this film uh, was shot like alongside Children of the Corn Runaway which is another franchise dimension has the rights to and has to keep making movies of. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was going to be introdu- uh, released at the end of 2017 with minimal marketing because they didn't want to get negative publicity. However, Dimension Films uh, ran into a bit of a snafu at the end of last year when Harvey Weinstein uh, got found out for a lot of mm. his stuff. So the film wasn't really a priority for Dimension Films. Um but they may it made its way out in February of this year when the company basically needed all the money they could get because no one really wanted to work with Dimension Films anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if you were real into Hellraiser, this is an all right return to form. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. It's mm. it's it just it does feel that he didn't he didn't smooth out the wrinkles in the fact that it's two different movies stuck together like yeah. there's it feels like it almost feels like three different movies stuck together because you've got the detective story with the serial killer you've got the auditor storyline and then you've got the hellraiser stuff they plug back in so i don't know the actors kind of look like like the, the like the, the other like low budget aspect is i feel like the actors except for the female cop who i kind of have a crush on now um they all they all kind of look like some people you'd cast for like a student film like a like a university film like i don't know that's just another aspect of it that i picked up on is like no one's like hollywood no one looks hollywood i guess yeah no yeah it's fair enough all right well which isn't necessarily a bad thing it's just something that is unfortunately a signpost of what is probably not going to be a great film yeah um and also um did you have any um trivia you found out about this film yeah something about cenobites being monks or something like that yeah i think the word cenobite actually means member of a monastic order which i forgot to mention is said in revelations really yeah because he says oh the cenobites and then they run inside and they go to the dictionary it's like cenobite member of a monastic order and i was like "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) it says here on imdb like seven times (laughs) fucking ten times uh, all right, so that's the film. Uh, so one thing we talk about a lot on this podcast is the word Cenobite, and it actually means member of a monastic order. Mm. Another thing we talk about is titles. We talk about a lot on this podcast. So the first film was based on uh, a book written by Clive Barker, which was called The Hellbound Heart. No shit. I didn't know yeah. that. So that was changed because it sounds like a romance movie. But what do you think of that title? Yeah, I mean, it only kind of... It- vaguely relates to what the movie's about but yeah so does hellraiser like i asked you at the start i was like what does hellraiser even mean and you were like i know the answer i mean i could make up what it means i guess it means you're raising something from hell but yeah. it just feels well, like you, a- you were talking about how you wanted to know why it was called this. yeah 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 and um but the film was filmed under the working title sadomasochists from beyond the grave <laughs> it's weird that they know that i guess they would they do look like sadomasochists and that's probably like well they are sadomasochists. yeah yeah true okay um but yeah clive barker wanted it to be called hellbound but a producer suggested hellraiser 
um, instead mm-hmm. for some reason. I mean, Hellbound would be a good title for the film. Yeah, um, totally. And at one point, he opened it up to the production team. What do you think it should be called? And a 60-year-old woman suggested it should be called What Woman Will Do for a Good Fuck. That makes me sad. Yeah. But maybe. Maybe it's maybe true. Maybe one day they'll come I don't to know. you. Um, yeah, okay. No, that's fine. It's, yeah, it's so, kind I mean, of... Hellraiser is one of those cool... It's a cool franchise title. Yeah, and it, it fits into the theme of both Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street, where the titles... <laughs> Like the most accurate would be nightmare, but only because of the word nightmare. The word the Elm Street is such a forgotten aspect of that franchise. Yeah, but in I think Freddy versus Jason, one of the later ones, Freddy says that every town has an Elm Street, right? Which was like a cool, mm, sure. It's a cool line because it's like Elm Street is such a common name that like yeah, there is one in every fucking town. Yeah. But also like you know, Elm Street has like a yeah. A, place of being yeah and friday the 13th i feel like if they they could go back in time they'd just call it camp crystal lake like the that is that's the worst one in terms of like how that title relates to the story like it's it's yeah. it's not because it's friday the 13th that the stuff is happening it's not they're not even all set on friday the 13th you know so. yeah, there's like three that take place on consecutive days yeah anyway we've spoken enough about that um so the sequel titles what do you think of those um there are there are only really two thoughts that i have because the sequel titles more or less are like like i don't have a problem with like generic sequel titles you know what i mean like it's like they're not gonna win aj's award for best movie titles but they're not like egregious like revelations and judgment are pretty yeah yeah they're pretty judgment actually fits though yeah like pretty well true um revelations are just a fucking dumb title um so obviously the big sore thumb is hellbound hellraiser 2 um that pisses me off because it'd be it's so close it feels like a mistake yeah just call it hellraiser 2 hellbound and you're fine um and so that's a bit of a sore thumb and i feel like it'd be very easy to talk whoever's in charge of these movies to rename it (laughs) you know what i mean it's it's not it's not an unreasonable thing to ask um but i guess the the other main note i'd have is that Hellraiser Deader is the worst title I think I've ever heard. Just the, <laughs> just the 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 word Deader. When you watch it, you learn it's a noun and it has a bit more context. But you don't. Would you watch a movie called Hellraiser Deader? It feels yeah, like like looking at the list of films. I was like, oh, so this is where they get silly. Yeah, but they don't. No, Hellraiser as well. Like it never stops taking itself seriously, except for maybe Hellworld. Yeah, but even then, it still like takes itself quite like. Yeah, that's whereas true. like Friday and Nightmare both yeah. become very silly. Yeah, yeah, Deader. Yeah, yeah. It's just it feels like you started writing the title and then you got a phone call and so you left <laughs> and then yeah. came back and you're like oh yeah that works because they don't even they don't justify why the like cult is called deader yeah. you know they're not like they're called this because it's just a bad title yeah yeah all right well yeah we've talked about titles now let's get to continue the franchise and see if we can wrap this podcast up because it's going for quite a while but That's it's 10 true. films what did you expect yeah anyway um so 
a remake has been trying to be made since the remake itself it exists somewhere in time and it's been trying to come into existence right. um since it, it was announced in november of 2006 um pascal logier of martyrs the, the french movie martyrs it's like one of those horror horror like no, oh my god it. it's like serbian film kind of thing right. he was set to direct um but he left because he wanted to make a serious horror film and the studio wanted it to appeal to teens so a year later two more directors were announced to write and direct but it never happened in 2011 they said that they left because they couldn't agree on the script they wanted one thing and to respect clive barker but the weinsteins wanted their vision to appeal to the largest audience possible in 2009 um patrick lussier and todd farmer were announced to write and direct the reboot they didn't want to do a remake but wanted to focus on the function and world of the lament configuration they also said that if they were going to do a hellraiser film it had to be rated r if they want to do pg-13 they have to get rid of us a year later they got rid of them in 2013 clive barker announced that he would personally be writing and directing uh the remake and he had made a deal with bob weinstein and doug Bradley was going to return as pinhead in 2017 however he revealed he ha- it hasn't moved forward at all he delivered a script in 2015 but he hadn't heard anything until he heard that they were making judgment do you reckon it was just the same script as the first film and that's what yeah. they're like we're not going to talk to you clive if you're going to do this <laughs> uh but yeah judgment could potentially get a sequel it was made to be open um the ta- paul t taylor said he'd happily return as pinhead but if they want to do a bigger budget with bradley back he'll happily step aside um and doug bradley has said he would definitely come back for the right time right place right motives and right script he says that other actors he doesn't feel like other actors have taken the role from him but maybe they've just taken temporary ownership in terms of uh hellraiser and pinhead appearing in other media uh there's been a few novels including 2016's sherlock holmes and the servants of hell which is a crossover with uh arthur sir arthur conan doyle's sherlock holmes uh there's been lots of comics by a few different publishers um and a video game began for the nintendo entertainment system which was going to be the first game where you could save your progress and come back to it later on um and they ended up this is fucking ridiculous and go go and look this up um for what started as a hellraiser game what it turned out to be and what it looks like so they ended they developed the game for a little bit and then they got rid of the hellraiser license and changed the game into the bible-based super 3d noah's ark google super 3d noah's ark and have a look at the cover art and think that this started as a fucking hellraiser game and it's like the most ridiculous thing all right i'm googling it (laughs) (laughs) this looks appropriate for three-year-olds yeah it's like uh this is what aj's parents would have loved him to be playing (laughs) no no not once they found out that it was once a hellraiser game Mm. and they're like oh what's hellraiser and they look it up and find all the other shit that you've said Mm. wow that is unreal it's why even mention that it started as a hellraiser game yeah. it's what market are you, are you are you reaching or maybe people were like um people were following the development of the hellraiser game and then they're like what happened to it and they're like oh no it came out it just ended up being super 3d uh, noah's ark i've got the back cover of the game here i'm gonna read the blurb aloud if that's all good go for it man. um imagine what life was like aboard noah's ark 
It's been a long journey. In just a few days, the ark doors will open and Noah, his family and the animals will be back on dry land. But the animals have become a bit restless and are out of their cages. Camels, giraffes, monkeys, kangaroos and more. (laughs) Literally every animal on earth. And it's like... (laughs) um, uh, are wandering throughout the corridors of the Ark. As Noah, it's your job to regain order and get the animals to sleep until you leave the Ark. Your, on- your only tool to accomplish this is the food you brought aboard the Ark. Can it be done? You bet. But how? Wow. And that started as a Hellraiser game. All right, AJ, have you got to continue the franchise? I do. Um, I feel like it. this has been pitched before on this podcast, but I've kind of thought more about it now um so it seems to me that there's two factors to consider here um the it's never been more ripe to make a horror film in probably the last 30 years right like with with get out and it and and hereditary like right now is a time where adults want to see you know distinguished horror films um and so that's that's one thing to consider the other thing to consider is the kind of recent failure to launch of certain cinematic universes such as the um universal mummy dark universe no, not universal mummy sorry universal monsters dark universe and things like that um you know they released one movie and probably aren't going to make anymore so i reckon you remake these tentpole 70s 80s horror franchises with the intention of making a cinematic universe right so Mm -hmm. as since we've only seen hellraiser freddy and jason um those are the those will be the first three i guess movies that come out right and this big well there's also been an evil dead remake sure yeah evil dead i didn't even think about but but i'm talking like (laughs) these I, i feel like those three are like a triptych of that that and Halloween and maybe Child's Play, but I don't know those franchises well enough yet to speak on them. But so this is more than just remaking the films. First of all, you wouldn't be able to just remake them because a lot of the iconography, like, you know, the whole Jason's hockey mask isn't introduced till the third film and Pinhead's barely the main villain in the first Hellraiser movie. So you gotta you gotta kind of tweak them so that they fit each other and then make a movie of each of these then do like an avengers style crossover whatever now to distinguish this from the other times i think i I think i pitched this on the scream episode so i'm trying to distinguish it from that so one thing you do kind of see with these launches of cinematic universes is that is they put a lot of thought into casting so i was like okay if they were going to make a big budget hollywood remake of those three films or those three franchises specifically what A-listers would you cast as Freddy, Jason, and Pinhead? So I've got I've got some ideas. So this might be a bit of a waste, but I was thinking for Jason, you could cast um, Dave Bautista. Because <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I was thinking a big guy um, could probably... Yeah, schedule's going to be free. Yeah, so yeah. Well. <laughs> could totally carry his own stuff. I've, I loved him in Blade Runner 2049 jason's a probably a fairly easy role for him to play so maybe there'd need to be like some his mask isn't always on and you see him as like the freak freaky jason kind of thing you know so dave batista is jason for the friday the 13th remake then for hellraiser for pinhead 
I was racking my brain trying to think who should I cast as Pinhead, and I landed on not the look but the voice, uh, Adam Driver as Pinhead. Oh yeah, good. yeah, because he's got that voice. You know, yeah. imagine this voice telling you about judgment and eternity and hell. So shave Adam Driver's head, put white makeup all over him, put pins in his head. I think he'll look enough like Pinhead, and he'll but he'll have the voice. And I almost wonder if that's more crucial than the look. Yeah. All right. Okay. And um, what about Freddie? Freddie, uh, this is a this is probably the weirdest choice I picked, but I just thought about it heaps, and this is what I landed on. Um, Adrian Brody <laughs> as Freddie. I reckon okay. he's got a performance in him where he can play like the comical, sadistic nature of Freddy Krueger. All right. So that that's my slightly more effort than usual. Continue the franchise. Yeah. I don't know. I'll just say, oh, a remake. Yeah. I, I like like uh, it could be a good um get give uh Blum Blumhouse the Bloomhouse mm. the rights because mm. they they like they they're doing a new Halloween film which looks amazing. They're trying to get the rights to Friday the 13th. I don't know. They just give them all the classic horrors and yeah. do good, good low-budget ones. Yeah, totally. All right, that's mine. <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's do continue the franchise. No, franchise really. Oh, my goodness. That actually was just yours. was just yeah. my remake. Well, yours was so good. I, 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 I'm not putting effort into mine. <laughs> all right. Thank okay. you. All right, franchise really. We've got a list of 296 franchises here. Uh, I've got a random number generator in front of me. I'm going to hit it. And it's going to tell us the next franchise we're going to be covering with a corresponding one on the list. Here we go. 272. 272, which is... Let me guess. Describe it. Um, That's not a knife. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, mate. <laughs> Three Crocodile Dundee films. Oh, that's a good number after 10. I remember after yeah. Freddy vs. Jason, we got Medea. And yeah. we tried to act like nine wasn't that big of a number. But it was like, it All was right. a big number. All right, So we've got you. Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee 2, and Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. That's all for Film Franchise Fortnights today. Thank you for listening this long. AJ, do you want to tell us all your yep. shit? Yep. So you can find us on YouTube and Facebook and uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and Instagram and Twitter, all under Cold Popture. And you can email us at coldpopturemedia at gmail.com. And also, uh, we have a Patreon now, so uh, you can actually donate money to us and we'll give you podcasts that no one else can hear. Um, so, so we just released recently our first episode of generic underscore movie underscore podcast.exe. And that was a... Um, chosen by our patrons that we review a certain film and that movie was Josie and the Pussycats so if you want to know what we think about that go check that out um, and in six days we'll be r- roughly yeah we'll be releasing the first episode of film franchise follow-ups which will be a where we look at an old franchise and that we've already covered and like explore some of the other non-film pieces of media that were made under that branding name and i'm going to tell them richard the first episode of film franchise follow-ups to to whet your appetite uh will be the back to the future animated series Um, so check that out on our patreon yep that'll be real fun and of course if you donate as little as a dollar to the patreon you can also suggest and vote on every second franchise we cover for this podcast which um we should put up now no we should so you've got until we record crocodile dundee to vote yeah okay yep let's do it um 
Cool. So because I'll be full on following Crocodile D. So check that out. And as always, like, comment, subscribe. Make sure to ring that uh, bell so you join our notification squad. So you make sure you don't miss any new videos. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. See you later, everybody. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 